thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Good morning, everyone. We're reading from Proverbs chapter 4, beginning at verse 20 and to the end of that chapter. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the left or the right. Keep your foot from evil. Thanks, Kate, and good morning. It's good to have you here this morning. Uh, this church, Gaimia Baptist, was uh, founded uh, in late November 1949, uh, 68 years ago, around today-ish. Uh, and uh, this little kind of the anniversary of the church has kind of been a, a fairly helpful marker for us. Uh, sometimes we've taken the opportunity to celebrate what God has done here as a community of faith. And other times, and this has been our kind of more frequent habit, has been to cast a little bit of vision into next year. Uh, the anniversary of the church falling in November, just before the Christmas break uh, and uh, summer, has kind of meant that it's been a good time for us to give a bit of a bit of a taster for what's to come, uh, where we're up to as a church and what's next for us and where we feel that God is leading us. And this morning, what I would like to try to do is to share some of, I guess, my uh, journey uh, in terms of how I see what's taking place for us as a church, share a little bit of the things that we've been talking about as a leadership, and hopefully uh, pa pass on a little of my excitement and anticipation of what's happening in the future as well. We'll see how I go with that. You can tell me afterwards if I've been successful, if I've just been talking to myself. But uh, we'll figure that out as we go. Uh, in uh, 1990, a psychologist named uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, uh, who I think is uh, Eastern European, uh, wrote a book entitled Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. And essentially what he was writing about was about um, being in the zone. Have you ever been in the zone? You're in, in the groove. You've kind of had this sense of kind of everything falling into place. It's those moments when you're working away at something and you look up at the clock and it's like, wow, it's 2 o'clock already? I forgot to have lunch. It's those moments of being really focused on something where there's a challenge or there's some sort of circumstance you're working through and it's taking kind of everything that you've got to, to kind of engage in it, but there's this kind of sense of real joy because you're really getting at something. You know those experiences, right? I was first introduced to this idea at a preaching conference, and it was a little workshop group, and the fellow who was leading the workshop introduced this concept of flow and then asked the question whether it was possible for a preacher to experience flow. It's a really fascinating conversation after that because the, the, the dialogue, as far as I was concerned, was, is it possible for me to be in the zone, sit down and say to Nicole, wow, I was in the zone, and for no one else to have noticed, right? This is the question, right? Uh, can uh, you also, can a congregation be in kind of this moment of a kind of a, a flow? It was a fascinating conversation. 
But the more I've thought about it, and you can tell me later if we were in the zone or not, but I'm not, that, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to know. But nonetheless, uh, one of the fascinating components of it as I've continued to think about it is, is it possible for a group of people to also experience flow, to, to, to be in the zone? And I, I think it probably is. Perhaps you've been part of a working group or a subcommittee or a management team or a sports team or some group of people where you've worked with each other long enough and all of a sudden there's this sense that it's all starting to happen. You get that sense that we're all pulling in the same direction. We're all using our abilities and our strengths and our experiences in the right sorts of ways. We've got this big challenge, but we're, we're really into it. And so I think it's possible for groups of people to experience this sense of being in the zone together. And I reckon that there's something really exciting about the possibility that we, as a church, could be in the zone. Because right? the thing about being in the zone is that it brings a deep sense of satisfaction. There's, there's a sense of joy and contentment because you're utilizing kind of everything you are to kind of wrap, wrap your head around and wrap your skills around a, a problem or a challenge. And everyone's engaged. And there's growth and development and satisfaction and all those good things. But what does it look like for us? And this is, I suppose, where I want to kind of give you the 10,000-foot version of kind of where we're up to as a church. I don't, I, want to, I don't want to give you the whole kind of history of the last 68 years or even the last few years, but one of the persistent conversations that, uh, that we've had as leaders, and this goes back a long way now, has been about kind of where, um, sorry, sorry, it's been about how effective we've been as a church. I think, I think I'm proud in, in the right sense, in the best sense of the word, of being associated with this church. This is a, it's a pretty good church. Not a perfect church, but a pretty good church. There's lots of capacity here. I mean, I, you know, I'm continually amazed by the capacity and experiences and gifts and abilities that are present in our congregations. I'm, I'm continually humbled by the things that God is doing in people's lives. It's, just, it's amazing. And yet... There's been this kind of ongoing sense for years now that we just can't quite get going. We just can't seem to be firing on all cylinders. There's all this capacity, and we don't seem to really be tapping into it. We don't really seem to, to be able to release us fully into all that God has called us to. And so there's been, a, I guess, a sense of frustration in that. There's been a sense of kind of wondering what's happened, why this, is, why this is the way it is. And over the last number of years, as we've been grappling with, I suppose, that issue in different guises, one of the things that we've kind of reflected on is that, for instance, our systems and our processes and our structures haven't actually facilitated uh, releasing people into full and significant, satisfying ministry. That's been one thing. But as we've come a little bit further down the track, and you, as you know, if you've been around for a while, I've been working on processes and structures, which isn't very cool, but is really necessary. But one of the things that has become clearer to me is that as a church, if we are going to become all that God has called us to be, if we're going to step into all that we've been invited to step into, then one of the things that we need to do is we need to focus. We need a little bit more clarity about who we are and what we're about and what God has called us to. 
And so our theme for next year is, is wrapped around this. It's wrapped around focus. Uh, as, as a church, what does it mean for us to focus? Because there is tremendous power in focus, isn't there? There's tremendous power if we are able to focus our energy and our attention and our concentration. We, we know it, don't we? When you can actually focus on something, when you can eliminate distractions, you can get a great deal done, can't you? It's just kind of pretty simple. Uh, if you need to get something done, what do you generally do? Well, you don't invite the kids to join you at work. You don't turn on the television, right? You, you don't kind of keep lots of uh, news feeds up. You tend to get rid of distractions, don't you? If you really need to get something done, you decrease the number of distractions so you can focus. As a church, what does it look like for us to focus? And what's the great power and benefit of focus? And I think we need to really grapple with this. So one of the things that, uh, that uh, Chek Sentmihai talks about in his book, Flow, is that when you focus, when you have greater clarity, it actually defines success. I don't know if you think too much about success. You probably do in your own work, in your own life, the various things that you're working through. We know what defines success, right? You've got a project. Well, you know that the project to be successful has to reach certain criteria. Uh, if you're a school teacher, then success will look a little bit different, but there's still criteria that you try to meet. What does it look like for us as a church to be successful? It's not, it's not language we often use about churches. And maybe we want to change the language to um, maturity or, or whatever it might be. But what would it look like for us to be as pleasing as we could be to God? You know, if Jesus visited, like physically visited, and kind of wandered around the place, what would it take for Jesus to spend a week with us and then kind of meet with us and go, you know what? You guys are doing great. You, you, you're doing exactly what I want you to do. What would that, what would that take? Now, it wouldn't be all about numbers, would it? wouldn't be about numbers, but there'd be something there, isn't it? I mean, Jesus wouldn't say you're doing great because you've, you've broken the 200 barrier, right? There'd be other things that he'd focus on, isn't there? What does it mean for us to be the church that Jesus has called us to be? You know, we don't believe in, in accidents, do we? we? We don't actually believe in luck or fate. We don't believe that things just happen somewhat randomly. We actually believe that God is involved in all of that stuff. Which means that we have been established as a church here 68 years ago for such a time as this. There is something that God is doing in the Sutherland Shire, in all the various aspects and regions where we are, that he has prepared for us to do. And he has given the gifts and abilities and experiences and capacities to this congregation to accomplish that task. What is that task? If we have greater clarity and greater focus, we'll have a better idea about what it is that God has called us to. And when we have that, we'll also then have the benefit of a greater selection criteria. You know what a selection criteria is, don't you? It's the criteria that, that you make decisions based on, right? So you and your friends want to go see a movie. 
there's a selection criteria that you would have. Don't want to go see a horror movie because I prefer to sleep at night than lying awake at night holding an axe, right? So we're not going to go see a horror movie. Uh, you know, it, it needs to be on a certain day because I'm only free on Wednesday, so that's the day we need to go and whatnot. And you kind of, you make selections based on values and principles and all sorts of things. How do we make decisions as a church about what it is that we're on about? Like some of you have had this conversation with me. You've come to me and you said, I've got this great idea. And you share your great idea. And I'm like, that's a great idea. And you say, we should do it. And I'm like, I don't know. And I don't know why I don't know, because I don't know what we're actually on about. So is your great idea the thing that we should do? I don't know. Which is a lousy selection criteria, isn't it? Because it means that I end up making decisions on what I want to do, or what I feel like would be nice to do, instead of what God wants us to do. And so getting this right, being a little bit more focused, is actually incredibly helpful. I think a third benefit of focus is actually the impact that it will have on our sense of community. If you've been in any church of nearly any size, you know that community is a huge issue, don't you? How do you experience community? What does that look like? How does it get deep? How is it strong? How do we connect? All those questions. And we got those questions here. Surprise, surprise. I said, we're a good church, not a perfect church. This would be one of them. It's true everywhere you go. But there's something about clarity of purpose, about shared values and shared goals that I think facilitates community. Let me explain what I mean. Many of you know that I'm involved uh, down at George's River Soccer Club. Uh, and uh, coach down there. The girls played soccer down there. Right? So we're, we're involved. Here's the thing about the soccer club. When I'm standing on the sidelines next to a, another dad who has a George's River hat or top on, I automatically know some things that we can talk about. Right? There's some shared values. And it ain't politics. It ain't educational background. Uh, it's basically wrapped around, surprise, surprise, soccer. Right? I can immediately have a conversation with the stranger on the sidelines because I can ask things like, is your son or daughter playing this morning? Oh, yes, she's just over there, number 12. Oh, that's great. Do you have a child play? Yes, I do. Right off we go. We have a wonderful little conversation that can actually go for quite a long time without being particularly awkward because I know and he knows that we probably have something to do with soccer. You with me? There are not very many groups out there that say, Hey, we're just going to hang out. Come along. Why would I go? Oh, I'll join a boating club, or I'll join a book club, or I'll join a fishing society, or I'll, right? I'll join a group where I know that there's some shared values, and then there's automatically a sense of community. I think often in churches, when you have a small group of people, the relationships form the community, Right? small group, there's 10, 12, 14 of you, and there's few enough that the relationships form that sense of connection. Once you get too much bigger than that, the relationships can't bring that about. They just can't. Does anyone here know everyone else here this morning? Like, I don't. I probably should, but I don't. If we brought members of the 830 congregation and we got them all, you got them all together in the room with you, well, you've all had this conversation, haven't you, with someone here? Oh, are you visiting? The answer is, no, I've been here since 1962. <laughs> right? To which you say, oh, so have I. I've never met you. 
And then we wonder why we struggle with community, right? So relationships can only take us so far. We need to find ways to develop those relationships. And that's part of, the, uh, part of our wider discussion around community. But if we were a little bit clearer on who we were and what we are about, then not, when I sit next to you and I find that you're actually committed to this church and so am I, I can probably guess that there's a handful of things that we share in common. Now, now that's true in any church, isn't it? You visit another church when you're on holidays and whatnot. There's something really bizarre, isn't it? You drop into another church and... There's a unity that comes from our faith in Jesus, right? That's kind of part of the, the mystery of the gospel. You know, so when we're down in Aruma, I usually go and worship the little Uniting Church because it has a service time that's convenient with the rest of the weekend. Uh, and there's, you know, a dozen people there, whatever it might be, and there is a sense of being one. But the greater focus that a group has, the deeper that community can be. So I, I reckon that there's something really quite significant for us to be able to say, this is who we are. This is what God has called us to. This is where we're heading. And to begin to use that not only to define what it means for us to be the church, but also to decide the things that we do, and also to facilitate a, a deeper sense of our own community together. But there's a, there's a fourth benefit of focus. And I want to go back to this concept of flow. Uh, Cheek Sent Mihai uh, talks about the channel of flow. And he talks about the channel of flow existing between um, our skills and our challenges. Right? That's the kind of the axis that he creates, right? And essentially, for us to be in the zone, we need to have a challenge that draws out all of or most of our energy, but doesn't overwhelm us, right? So on either side of the channel of flow, there are two experiences that we can have. One is apathy, the other is anxiety. So we've all had this experience. You're doing a task that has almost no challenge at all, right? Your skills, your experience, your abilities completely outstrips the challenge. And you are bored, right? You've had a, have you had a job like that before? Sometimes it's a job that you did enjoy because when you first began to do it, it was a challenge. But over time, you've mastered it, and now you need something to push you a little bit. You're bored. On the other side, we probably had this experience as well. You stepped into a role, and the challenge has completely outstripped your capacity to do it, right? I've got this massive challenge and only a few little skills, and I'm freaking out about everything that I have to do. You're overwhelmed and anxious. And in either case, Csikszentmihalyi says, you can't get into the zone of flow. In the one, you're bored silly, and so there's no capacity that's drawn out of you. In the other, you're frozen by anxiety. And I actually reckon this is really quite important for us. Because as a church, I think sometimes we can either be overwhelmed or we can be a little apathetic to the things that we've been called to. We can be apathetic because we end up reducing the challenge of the gospel. We end up making church about just kind of being together. We end up making church just about ourselves, about passing values on to our kids or whatever, stuff we could do just about anywhere, stuff that we have capacity for, and we end up with, with coming to church bored 
because there's no real challenge. We'll come to church, and, and, and I'm not asking anything of you. Here I am. I'm, I'm the leader of the church. I'm not asking anything of you. And you're kind of like, this is boring. I'm bored. Faith in Jesus. Boring. Does anyone else think that's probably not a great sentence? We can actually end up feeling apathetic, which is crazy, isn't it? But on the other side, we can also feel a little bit overwhelmed. I mean, seriously, God has invited us to participate with him in his plan to restore and renew everything in Jesus. Does that sound like a big task? And I know it's his task, and we've been invited to join him and invited to participate in particular ways and empowered by his spirit to do so, but that's still a pretty overwhelming task, isn't it? And so we can also look at the world outside, we can look at the world that we see, and we can think to ourselves, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know, how, what, 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 do we, what do we do? Nobody even likes the church. What, we, what do we say? I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. And we end up becoming so anxious that we're frozen, and we also don't really experience all that God's called us to. And the solution, according to Czech Sent Mihai, is greater clarity on what it is that we're called to. If you're bored in faith, if you find faith just a little bit tedious, and think, ah, there's no challenge anymore, you need to clarify some things. You need to clarify about what it is that what God has called you to. You need to clarify what he is calling you to and get after it. You need to remember that our discipleship is a lifetime experience. You need to focus and concentrate on becoming more like Jesus. But if you are frozen by anxiety or uncertainty about how we are able to do what God has called us to, we also need to clarify what he's called us to do. A, he hasn't called us to do everything. B, he hasn't called us to change anyone's life. That's his task. He's called us to be faithful, right? He's called us to be persistent. He's called us to be prayerful. He's called us to serve, to be generous. All of those sorts of things. And it brings us back from anxiety, but out of apathy, into the place where as a church, as a community of believers, with some clarity about who we are and what we're on about, we can really begin to exert our energy, our creativity, and channel it into the things that God has called us to. And I think that's really exciting. You know, a passage was read a little bit earlier in Proverbs chapter 4. And uh, I, I've spent a lot of time in Proverbs over the last uh, several years. Figured I need a lot of wisdom stepping into this role, uh, and I figured that's a pretty good place to start. And so I've been, I spent a lot of time in Proverbs. And uh, this little section in chapter 4, where the father almost pauses, shall we say, in his instruction to his son to kind of reiterate some of the things that he's talked about. Uh, to reiterate what he is calling his son to. And, and I think what we find is that in the midst of all of this, there is a, a, um, an element of focus. There's an element of focus here. Right? Even though the language isn't really used there, this idea of not allowing his instruction to leave your sight, of being careful about the path you choose and then keeping your eye on it. It's all about focus. And it defines for this young man what success looks like, what a, what a full, rich uh, life looks like. 
You know, his father has basically started the book of Proverbs, his instruction by saying that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. He's talked about success falling in line with the things of God. That's what success looks like. And then he's given him all sorts of advice about what that means. This young man has been given a whole set of selection criteria about the people that he should befriend and the people that he should not befriend, about the sorts of choices he should make and the sorts of choices he should avoid. He's talked about all sorts of things that help this young man as he looks at his life say, I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to do this because I want to be successful. I want to flourish in God's world on God's terms. It also enables community because if this young man follows his father's instructions, which are the instructions based on observation of God's world, based on the law that God has given, then he is going to automatically find other people who want to pursue the same kind of life and spend time with them. The father has told them earlier on, do not spend time with wicked people. If anyone tries to gain wealth in some sort of bizarre, unjust way, run away. Run away from sexual immorality and all that sort of stuff. He says, just, just leave it. He's going to find people who follow this path and they are going to find themselves walking together on this same road and it will facilitate a community of faith. But it's also something here, this pursuit of wisdom, this pursuit of the ways of God is important. It's important enough to focus on to not turn to the, to the left or to the right. It's important enough to, to guard your heart, to guard your lips, to listen to the instruction, to, to think about it. It is important enough to do that, to be concentrated and focused, but it is not unattainable. It, it's, it's, it's got more than enough to keep you from being bored, but it's also something that's not going to overwhelm you. You can do this. Guard your heart. Guard your lips. Be careful of the path you take. Listen to my instruction. Remember the ways of God. Fear the Lord. This is what has been set before us, and it's in Proverbs. Proverbs is wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is about how to be successful. It, doesn't, it, it strikes me as not surprising at all that Cheek Sent Mihai would come up with some concept where he realizes that if we are a little bit more focused, we actually have a happier life. Why am I not surprised by that? Because it's right here. If you focus on the right stuff, hey, guess what? You'll flourish. This is, is biblical wisdom literature. And this is, I think, what stands before us as a church. And it's this part that I'm, I'm really excited about. Because as I said, there is so much capacity here. There is, there is so much that we can do as a church. And yet I think that we haven't been clear enough. I haven't been clear enough. I haven't been clear enough about who it is that God is calling us to be right now. And I don't want to, I don't want to give you a bunch of information about the things we're going to be focusing on. There's a handful of things that you'll be hearing about. Let me give you one example. Uh, that, I, that, I, that I think might give you an insight into the direction that we're going and then call you to, uh, I guess, a bit of a response between now and the new year. One of, the, one of the areas where this has been particularly clear for me is in relationship to social justice. Right? There, there's a lot of, there are a lot of issues in our world that require the gospel, don't they? Right? Uh, there's heaps of them. 
very, very pressing needs. Uh, the refugee crisis that we seem to have made worse and worse every time we try to make a decision about it. Um, indigenous rights, um, uh, pornography, uh, gambling, uh, like it just the list goes on and on. And as a church, uh, up until now, we've been for any of them, but for none of them. Do you follow me? If you've been interested in one of those areas and wanting to speak into a circumstance, whatever it might be, our response has been good on you. But as a church, we've actually done none of them. Someone come and say, we should, we, should, we should do a sermon on refugees. And I said, well, yeah, I suppose. But we don't do anything about refugees. So what, what, what's the sermon going to do? It's going to tell you to go do some stuff that we as a church are not doing. You with me on this one? And so one of the things that we've been seeking to do over the course of this year has been to select two social justice issues that we're going to focus on. We want to focus on the elimination of domestic violence, in part because it's a really pressing topic in our society right now, and also it's a pretty big issue in the Sutherland Shire. And we want to focus on ethical consumerism, because we have done a little bit in that space. Those are the two social justice issues that we're going to focus on next year and in the, into, the, into the future. Now, do you see what that does almost automatically? It gives us, first of all, some idea of what success looks like, right? If we're going to lean into those spaces, then that means that uh, success is going to look like less and less and less domestic violence taking place in our society. More and more of the gospel speaking into that situation. A greater clarity about what it means for us to stand against that, beyond just kind of wearing a white, white ribbon. What does it mean for us? It also means, in ethical consumerism, that there'll be a handful of things that that will kind of look like. And we need to develop all that as we go. It also then gives us some selection criteria. So if someone comes and says, hey, listen, there's this big rally for the refugees, we can say, listen, you should go to that. But as a church, we're, we are not going to do that. Not because we don't think it's an important issue, not because we don't think it's, uh, it's something that we should be involved in as Christians, but because we have chosen two particular areas. And then that means, as, as a church, that when we lean into that space a little bit, when we begin to focus our attention on that, that there's an invitation to participate deeply in something. And it should keep us from being bored or overwhelmed. And we can begin to assert and use the capacity, gifts, skills, experiences here in that way. And there may be some of you here who think, oh, oh, I don't like either of those social justice issues. They're important, but I'd rather deal with something else. Well, this is the process of clarifying who we are and what we feel that God is calling us to right here, right now. So there's some, kind of some scary edges on the outside of this, isn't there? As we clarify and focus our attention. But I'm convinced that as we focus, as we clarify, as we learn more deeply what it is that God is calling us to at this point in time, that that will provide the space for us to really begin to press into all that God has promised to us. I mean, I, I long for the day. I long for the day when most people 
who are committed to this church have found themselves in some significant, fulfilling kingdom ministry. Whether it's inside the church or outside the church, in your workplaces, in your schools, but where there's a real sense that your participation here feeds into what you do everywhere else. When I hear stories of people saying to me, you know, I'm just, I'm growing so much in my faith. I'm growing so much in my discipleship. God has been teaching me lessons about patience, about mercy, about kindness. He's been teaching me about anger and how I need to address that. He's been digging that out of my life. I long for those stories of specific examples of what God is doing, places and times when we have seen God at work in the ways that we think he's called us to, and we've stepped in. I long for those days. I long for us as a church to, to, to have, well, to never be bored with faith, where we come together as the people of God because we're excited about what God is doing. I would much rather we would edge, we would be on the edge of being overwhelmed than on the edge of being bored. That's what I look forward to. And so can I ask you, between now and next year, to set yourself to prayer and to pray that over the course of next year, that God would bring us a deeper clarity about what it is that he wants us to be doing right now. Because as we find out, as we clarify what God is calling us to, we will be able to step into that space. And I don't know about you, but I like the idea of doing what God's doing right now. Don't you? I mentioned it last week. When we are doing what God is doing, we are in the current. We're with the grain. That is a good way to live not only as individuals, but as a church. So will you commit yourself when you pray for the church to pray for clarity, to pray for focus, to pray for um, a revelation of God by his Holy Spirit that would show us clearly what it is that he wants us to be in order that we might step into that space to be focused, to, to, to be what God's called us to be, to be the church that he needs us to be that he invites us to be at this point in time, this point in history, in this region of the world, in this part of Sydney. That is our theme for next year. I trust that you've at least got on something about my excitement of it, if nothing else. Whether I've been in the zone or not, you can tell me later. But as a church, I really hope that we will find the space where we can really be released into all that God's called us to. Now, that'll be my prayer. I trust it'll be yours as we move forward into 2018. You won't hear much about it between now and 2018. Next week, we start our series, The End of Fear, uh, wrapped around uh, Christmas and how Jesus speaks into the fear and anxiety that is so prevalent in our world. It'll take us to the end of the year, and then uh, January we'll be doing Jesus in the Sydney Morning Herald, contemporary issues and the gospel, as we tend to do. And when we get back into February, we'll get back into this whole concept of focus. But I would appreciate and value your prayers before that. Let me pray for us as a church, as Jen and the team come to lead us in a couple of songs of response. Uh, will you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray um, 
for us as a church, as individuals and as a group, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, give us a clarity about what you are doing in our world right now and how we can participate. We thank you for the wonderful privilege of, of participating with you and ask that you would keep us both from being overwhelmed at just how much is to be done, but also that you would keep us from being bored or apathetic about our faith. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with a sense of anticipation, an expectation, an excitement about what you are calling us into. And that as we take some uh, time and energy, next year in particular, to focus our attention, to focus on fewer areas, to, to try to go deeper in a few areas, that your blessing and favor would rest upon that. I pray that it would not only help us figure out where we're going, but it would help us to make good decisions along the way. I pray they would foster and facilitate our own sense of community one with another as we share specific goals as we move forward. And that we might find ourselves in, in the current, uh, going with the grain, experiencing that sense of being in, well, in your zone, doing the things that you are doing at the right time, at the right place. We pray that you might continue to lead and guide us as a church, that we might do all that we can to participate with you in your plan to restore and renew everything in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.